The mother of all invention is necessity, or so the saying goes. History credits Plato with that bit of wisdom. I don't think the ancient Greek philosophers had to worry much about town planning solutions, but I'm sure he'd understand some of the difficulties facing Innisville. Number one, you want to provide your taxpayers with an effective way to get around, but the town's so spread out that normal bus routes don't make sense. And number two, you know the town is growing, but you don't want to end up as another commuter town with urban sprawl and no personality. So do you accept all that or try something different? Enter Uber and the Orbit. There's so much opportunity to lead, and I think that the the benefit for the glory far outweighs any pressure from the skeptics. Innisfil is, is an interesting look at, at kind of risk aversion and also ambition. I think the, the most wonderful things emerge in the most unexpected places. This feels like we are at the beginning of something very big that's happening up here. Hi, I'm Takara Small, and this is episode two of Tech Town. Three years back, Innisfil realized the town had got to the stage where its residents really needed public transit. They looked at getting some buses and running a few routes around the busiest parts of town. Things just weren't adding up, though. The costs were pretty high and the efficiency was low. The population of Innisfil is very spread out, and running set bus routes was only going to serve a fraction of the residents they needed it to. So they started to think outside the box. They partnered with rideshare app Uber. So it's a great example, I think, of uh, just finding um, the right uh, solution to a problem that so many people are trying to solve um, through partnership. So, um, you know, the typical municipal approach to transit is to buy all your own vehicles, hire your own staff, you know, or contract out to a traditional transit company like a bus company or that kind of thing. Um, but Innisfil is uh, geographically quite large. Like we're the size of Mississauga in terms of the square kilometers, uh, over 200 square kilometers. But we don't have the population density, you know, 37,000 versus almost a million in Mississauga. So a typical transit model just isn't affordable. It doesn't make sense. And you would have buses driving around, you know, with almost nobody on them uh, because you'd have to have so many different routes uh, with a spread out kind of population. Um, so we'd been looking for, for a solution there and uh, just happened to have this conversation with Uber and we did a request for expression of interest and um, they were really the only ones at the time, remember this is back in 2015, which feels like you know, a decade or a hundred years ago now, but it's only five years ago. But uh, at the time they were really the, they were, they were fairly new on the block. Um, and they were of course doing this ride sharing thing of connecting people who are driving around anyways uh, with the supply of the people that want to move around. Um, and so they uh, partnered with us and now we have a system that uh, delivers, you know, pretty much 24 uh, seven, you know, uh, service that's super convenient because it's door to door. Um, the pricing structure is similar to transit where you can kind of go to key destinations at a flat fee and otherwise you get a discounted ride. Um, but it's been a really, uh, really uh, exciting journey. And I was surprised, like considering Uber is a billion dollar company, they have been really good at customizing and working with us to solve some of our kind of public sector problems. Um, it's one thing to be sort of a quasi-taxi sort of company. It's another thing to be a public transit system, right? So we need accessibility and we need access for people. And those were the kinds of things that we've worked through with them, um, which has made it a great partnership. So here are some of the numbers. Brace yourself. 
It's a 24-7 door-to-door service, and an average 8,500 trips a month are made by Innisfil residents. About 35% of the cost is subsidized by the town, with the customer paying the rest themselves. The most vulnerable residents can apply to the fair transit scheme, which reduces costs even further. For the last two years, the town has budgeted approximately $900,000 annually to subsidize the rides. If it invested in a traditional transit service, it's estimated it would cost around $8 million a year to provide the same level of service as with Uber. Right now, the numbers clearly make sense from a financial point of view. From a service point of view, it's something that seems to really work for the local residents too. We spoke to Stuart Reese. He's been living in Innisfil for about six years now. I think it shows a level of confidence with the town to say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to go way outside the box here and we're going to do something that no one else has done and and not just Mickey Mouse it uh, out the gate, but we're actually going to partner with, you know, the big company that has, uh, that's, you know, that is the the brand for um, rideshare programs, things like that. So I think there's a, it's impressive. It's really impressive, I think. And it's not just the locals who are pleased with the arrangement. As you would expect, Uber is more than happy to have all that extra business. But the company has also praised Innisfil for its approach. Colleen Schaefer is Transit Partnerships Manager at the company. Yeah, Innisfil was way ahead of the curve with this one. So when they came to us in 2016 with the idea for a collaborative partnership, it really pushed our own thinking. Um, and over the years, we've learned so much from the town of Innisfil, Innisfil who have been incredible partners Um by the way, I mean, our team continues to focus on public transit use cases and partnering with agencies using, you know, many of the same insights from Innisfil as a foundation for innovation. So uh, over the years together, we've evolved the offering to better suit the needs of the Innisfil community, uh, especially as its population has grown and the need for additional services becomes more apparent. Were you surprised or were your colleagues surprised by the fact that this partnership generated headlines, like not just across Canada, but I can say, you know, around the world? Yeah, I think for those uh, unacquainted with uh, Uber Transit and um, with Innisfil, you know, they've told us how unique this model is. But for us, it's not surprising at all. The town has consistently been pushing the frontier of innovation and service to their community. Are there any concerns about a service like this working in a small town? Like how does it how does it work perhaps better than a regular bus service? Yeah, in terms of concerns, I mean we're constantly learning as we work with more cities and municipalities to improve mobility and to improve their experience working with Uber. Um, for example, we've improved how we share data over the years to give the town the visibility they need to effectively run their program. Um, we've also tailored the service with them to balance convenience and the rider experience with uh, cost per trip and their budget. Um, this partnership has been highly flexible, so we've worked with the town to adapt the service over the years and address any concerns as they arise. There are still some question marks though. New solutions always bring new problems. One of the issues with this arrangement is that the more people who use it, and the more successful it is, the more money it costs the town. Earlier this year, they had to put a cap on monthly use. On the flip side of that, the current coronavirus pandemic has shown the benefits of being agile. Demand is down, so costs are lower than if they had buses and drivers that weren't being used. 
But is this a solution in the long term? If the town is expecting population growth in the coming years, maybe bus routes will make sense soon. Yeah, I I think that ride a ride sharing uh, type. A public transit system is a long-term solution. Um, I think, as I've said, ultimately there may be some higher capacity vehicles, um, but we know that even in bigger cities, uh, first mile, last mile is a is a really good fit for ride sharing. So I suspect that we'll always have some kind of a ride sharing piece, um, and our hope is that there may be some higher capacity vehicles that come online as the demand requires it. But in the meantime. Uh, you know, we're able to to manage uh, the right size of transit system for the right size of population uh, in Innisfil. So that's the transit. Strategists at the town have brought the same energy to the other big issue facing them, population growth and urban sprawl. Innisfil is expected to grow by 30,000 people in the next 15 years, and much more in the long term. That's the kind of influx that can get messy if it's not managed properly. So to handle that, they had an idea. Probably the greatest... Oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. No, no, not a monorail. They're creating a new urban space called The Orbit. It's kind of a futuristic city space, based around a ghost station which is going to be built in part of the town. What that does is it creates a transit hub essentially in the middle of nowhere. Innisfil is literally fields right now, and the potential for it to just become sprawl of spaghetti streets is very great. That's Alex Josephson. He's the architect behind the plan. And so the orbit is this idea that the transit hub becomes this center of gravity. And that center of gravity is transit and mobility. And Everybody and everything, including the communities that um, are represented by these hamlets in in Innisfil, orbits around this new, um, what you might call transit hub. And it's, it's, it's about giving a futuristic name that captures the, the gravity that that transit creates to inside the community. One of the fears you might have when starting a project like this is what it will do to the character of the region. The residents who already live in Innisfil didn't all sign up to live near a high-density, futuristic urban space. A lot of them like the peace and quiet. So how do you sell it to them? Yeah, great, great question. And something we're very sensitive to, right? Um, And and what I would say is that it's a lot easier to put uh, higher density and to do some real long-term visioning in an area that doesn't have people at the backyard, in their backyards, looking at it right now. So, you know, it's very difficult to take, um, say, a nine-story tower and plop it into what is a single-family dwelling, you know, kind of subdivision. People get really upset about that, right? For, for obvious reasons, that's not what they expected, that's not what they bought, that's not what they, you know, imagined, uh, which is a huge problem. Uh, so, but we can drop you know, 30,000 people into this new area because nobody's going to be staring at it from their backyard. Um, uh, And people know that the stuff that they love about the sort of smaller, uh, small town charm is only going to be preserved if we do something differently as we move forward. So, you know, they got in sort of with the subdivision house, but now they want to preserve that. And so, you know, that community feeling. And the only way to do that is to think differently about how growth is going to happen. And and I think the people who really, you know, kind of engage and and uh, and think carefully and thoroughly about this issue start to realize that, oh, yeah, 
this isn't going to work. Like we're not going to keep our little piece of paradise forever unless we really think differently about higher density growth because the growth will come. Uh, And it's a question of how the growth comes, not if, right? Right now, local attitudes are mixed. Some residents are happy, some are still dubious. Stuart Reese is one of those looking at it in a positive way. Uh, The people that I've talked to, I think that they are... um, they're reluctant, right? A lot of the people have lived in Innisfil for a long time. And, you know, I, I remember talking to an older gentleman uh, on the 25th side road. And he said that he'd lived in his house for 30 years. And when he first moved here, uh, the 25th side road was dirt. It was a gravel road, right? Now it's a pretty busy street. And obviously it's paved. Um, and they're going to need to widen it probably in, in, at some point. So people like that who've been here forever, and this was a small town, this was cottage town, I think a lot of people want to keep it that way. But like so many things, you know, all good things come to an end, or, and I wouldn't say that the modernization or the change is a negative thing. But the, the thing that I'd like to, that I would say to my neighbors when we chat about it is, you know, we need to do this, it's going to happen. So we need to plan it um, so that we can protect the green space so that we don't have unchecked uh, sale of, of agricultural lands and developments of just more houses that um, put a strain on our streets and our, our like, you know, create more traffic and so on. We need to find good ways to do it, right? I, I, I mentioned the analogy of, uh, you know, it's going to rain tomorrow. So uh, do you want to put a tarp up or do you want to put on a raincoat or do you want an umbrella or just a toque and a, a jacket? It's going to rain. How do you want to manage it. So I think, um, uh, I think that people will see that. And and I think that that's the real argument is just people are going to move here anyway. We can't, you're not going to stop people from moving here. Um, you can't move the whole town farther north and farther away from the city. So people are going to move here. So, uh, how do you want it to, to roll out? Part of convincing those skeptics will no doubt be showing them how it actually functions better than your regular urban sprawl. We'll go back to Alex for that. It's all about access in straight lines to the train to the train station. Instead of being forced to travel in a zigzag uh, or in a grid, it's a direct line for anybody. And it's about egalitarian inequality as well. Like if, if, if you are 800 meters away, you are the same distance as anybody else 800 meters away in, in the orbit versus other plans, especially spaghetti plans. It could take you 15 minutes to get uh, by car from eighteen eight, from eight hundred meters away versus someone who's, uh, you know, eight hundred meters on the other side and 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 really close to a uh, a main street. So, you know, it it really is about focusing on what kind of system of roads and pedestrian um, avenues are most efficient for people to walk on and get to a train station, and most efficient for a car to get to a park car park near a train station instead of getting cars to highways. The intricacies of planning for the future is complicated, but Innisfil has a plan in place to get it done. It's becoming the town's hallmark that the plan is an ambitious one. They're clearly open to bright ideas and are looking to develop lots more. They've approached it in a multi-pronged approach that we've never seen anywhere in the world. So it's attracting the right talent. It's attracting the right programming. It's becoming a platform for um, startups. Next week, we're going to hear how Innisfil is partnered with the DMZ, one of the tech industry's top incubators, to give a home to local startups and help them flourish. See you then.